This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Whole lot's changed in the world last couple of days. My name's Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. I'm joined across the interwebs by ScoopDuck.com's Justin Hopkins, and this is Scoop Duck and High Five. Though it's going to sound a lot different this week. I don't have my tape recorder that I normally use. I don't have my home studio that I normally use for this. So... We're recording it on a Zoom call, and I'm going to try to clean it up the best I can in post. I know it's going to sound weird. I know it's a little funky. Just bear with me, folks. Um, what else is kind of weird and funky, but I'll take it because it means football. The Pac-12's coming back. Seven-game schedule, November start. What You had to know about this in advance, right, J-Hop? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there were so many moving parts. And if you followed the site, uh, you know, like I know, you know, our diehard readers do, I, I tried to update things daily. And while it might not have been exactly right to the second, you know, we were, we were pretty good on having a, a pretty good handle on the situation, on having the jump, um, you know, mentioned that this would get put in motion as soon as the Big Ten made its decision. You know, that came to fruition, laid out the outline of what a potential season and what it would look like uh, from that first day. And it was really dang close, uh, you know, to what the end product was, you know, mentioned that there would be a decision yesterday. We were kind of ahead the game on that, that it would be Thursday. And then obviously, you know, yesterday morning, I figured out that it was going to be in the afternoon, you know, four, four thirty, five o'clock, somewhere in there, uh, which was great because having that bit of information in particular, you know, I sent, sent you a text and said, Hey dude, let's record the podcast tomorrow instead of today. So that that way we can include this news. So um, not sitting here trying to toot my own horn, say we nailed it the whole <laughs> way, but we were, we were, you know, we were pretty fortunate to have a pretty good jump on most of the news, uh, you know, surrounding that. What was the biggest surprise to you with the PAC 12's decision? I want to say the biggest surprise to me is that they waited so damn long to get this thing well, first of all, I, let me back it up. My my biggest surprise is the fact that they canceled football or postponed it, however you want to label it, back in August and literally did nothing until last week. And and it just surprises me that a conference that, you know, obviously their revenue uh, is in large part to football, if not all of football. And basically you just sat on your thumbs, you know, hoping that your moneymaker was going to come back at some time. I think that was very poorly planned out by the Pac-12 and, and Larry Scott. But that aside, the fact that the Big Ten uh, made its announcement last week and, you know, went ahead and, and, and pushed forward with football, I don't understand what the hell we had to wait till Thursday for to get this figured out. I, in my opinion, it should have been handled last week by Thursday, Friday, even Saturday if you had to. And there's no reason not to push forward with that and give – in my opinion, give universities and coaches and players more time to plan and prepare. It doesn't mean everybody would have got to, you know, resume football activities a week sooner. It just kind of gives everybody a heads up like, Hey, let's get back. Let's get ready. You know, get your strength staff in order, get your, you know, medical kits in order, all of these things that are required, you know, your COVID testing kits and all that, get all these things that are required so that you can get it in motion. In my opinion, you wasted a full week of time for schools to get ready. But we got football. Like you said, that's the end result, and that's what we wanted. Yeah. I said it this way on my show last week. I still – I don't think the Pac-12 made the right decision personally, um, and I've been upfront about that, of, of I think – when they canceled play, I felt like they were out at the forefront for player safety and, and players' well-being in, in the middle of a pandemic. But I conceded then, and I stand by it now, football can be a source of comfort for a lot of people. 
and and I think about the fires ravaging through the state, uh, not just in Southern Oregon, but you know in the, the Mackenzie River area in Eugene, uh, Sanium Canyon. Think about the fires in Lincoln City or Malala and all that Clackamas County. That too, um, having the be all end all in the state. I think the single biggest, single most popular, and most successful sports team in our state, the Ducks back on the football field that's going to be a big deal for a lot of people it is and and something you know that that you and I I think I think we both felt the same way in the fact that when the Pac-12 and the Big Ten decided to postpone or push back originally you know it 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 was something that we said the Pac-12 can't be the only ones not playing I mean that's that's a huge black eye for the conference um, I, I don't debate the fact that the Pac-12 did it for the right reasons, obviously for player safety, which at the time with COVID, we just continued to have so many unknowns. And, and, and now with the rapid testing, I think that's great. I don't know that that was really the catalyst to it all because we saw these other conferences play. And yeah, it hasn't been perfect. It hasn't been seamless. Um, you know, the, 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 the variable in this equation is the fact that you've got college-age kids that are going to do college age stuff. And then when you bring more students back on campus, you have a lot, you know, a lot more things that you cannot control, you know, parties and whatnot. So um, overall though, I think you could say college football hasn't been flawless or seamless, but it's been pretty solid. You've had some canceled or postponed games, but overall we've seen quite a few weekends of football now. And in large part, it's gone on pretty well. And we don't see a massive outbreak. We don't see a lot of, of, of college football players in the hospital or dying. And I, I think that's obviously, uh, you know, what you base your decision on more than anything else. So I, I guess at least for the Pac-12, you've been able to see how it's worked for other conferences for a couple of weeks. And, and now you've got another three or four or five weeks or whatever to get everything in place for your conference and, and move forward. Still, I, I, I can't imagine there aren't some form of hurdles uh, in California and Oregon at some point with the local health authorities, but I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that brings me to, I think the one last question on, on just the planning for this and the lead up to this before we get into some football questions. Um, were you surprised that they were able to get to the finish line the way they did? What with, uh, the story coming out of Boulder or the story coming out of Eugene yesterday? Uh, yes and no. You know, I look at that and I think, okay, you've, you've had some outbreaks and what's, what's the one thing that, that's really happened in the last couple of weeks? Well, it's kids returning to colleges. And of course, if they've been gone from each other for six months now, because a lot of schools shut down back in March or April or whatever, you know, you bring all these kids back and they're going to party. I mean, there's, I, I don't care, you know, what kind of penalties you throw at them or, or what the rules are, they're going to party. They're going to do it. It's, it's what's going to happen. So, you know, I think there was an outbreak there, but uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not discounting COVID-19, but if you just look at all the data, it's definitely not deadly, if you will, at least for people in that age demographic overall. So it doesn't mean that they can't take it home to somebody that is more susceptible to it in that you know, age 60 plus bracket, age 70 plus bracket, but at least for them, for the most part with their immune system so strong um, and being so young, I remember being young and getting hurt and you could recover from it with no problem. Those days are long gone for me, but uh, <laughs> you're, you're resilient in your early twenties and, and your late teens. And uh, you know, so I guess there's that for me. I think that's why the counts went up. I think that's what happened in, in Boulder specifically in Colorado um, but again, I think they'll get that under control. Uh, probably see a little bit more, uh, widespread testing if I had to guess. And, uh, I think it's like anything else. We'll kind of live and learn because human beings are resilient. You know, we, if it's not the pandemic, if it's other things, we, we figure out a way to, to, to learn and adapt. And I think that we'll continue to do that with COVID moving forward. All right. Um, we can talk football now. Actual like- Actual duck football. Um, oh, man. Not just the NFL and not the other conferences, <laughs> but like our own football. Right. Holy right. cow. The team that, you know, the podcast is named after. It almost seems surreal. Like I'm sitting here thinking, okay, you know, we're going to talk about football. And it's like, oh, wait, we're going to talk about football. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's great. It's great. I mean, it's great. I, I've seen a, a jump in activity on the site. 
on the last couple of days here, you know, leading up to the announcement and with the announcement. Um, I think people are excited. I know, I mean, I know people are excited to watch, watch football, watch the ducks um, and whatever season we end up getting. I think people are just excited to, to once again, you know, get that, get that little bit of normalcy back uh, even more. Right. So, so real quick personnel questions. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've been peppered with this, so I, I don't need paragraphs, just yes or no. Um, Pen A, is he going to come back? Oh gosh, no, no. I mean, he was, he was not coming back. And, and that, uh, you know, that, that brings up the point that I, I have originally, my, one of my biggest gripes overall with the PAC 12 and the way they've handled this is the fact that they said they were going to postpone originally back in August and literally had no conversations with anybody at all about revisiting this until last week when the Big Ten opted back in. So, you know, to me, a player like Panay Sewell or the other, uh, you know, first round kind of graded guys, you know, they, they shut it down. There was, I mean, they, of course, they're working out and, and, and staying in shape, but not at the level they would to get ready for a season. And, you know, you're talking about these guys going through, a season that, you know, we all know is, is going to be uh, risky anyways. It's going to be, you know, it's just going to be weird. It's going to be wonky. And there's just not a lot of motivation for a guy like Panay or somebody in a similar position to him to go through that kind of season, uh, having not trained and been ready. Um, it, it's a huge risk with almost virtually zero reward for him because he's already a top five draft pick. So there's literally no reward for Panay other than getting to play with his teammates once again. But this goes beyond that. I mean, this is, this is big boy decision stuff here. And uh, you, you're not getting a, a guy like Panay back. And, and it's really unfortunate because I do believe, I do believe that had the PAC 12 basically said, look, right now we're deciding to postpone the season until January, but we will continue to work on this and, and have regular, if not, if anything, at least a weekly conversation with, you know, Pac-12 CEOs and university presidents and university ADs and everybody continue a dialogue, uh, that didn't happen. They basically said, we're punting, we're done. And, you know, players like Panay said, okay, I'm going to get ready for the NFL draft. And, and that's what I heard as well. Um, I, I remember, I think I was listening to Canzano's show like a week ago, and he literally just texted Penay's dad, who we've had on the pod before, and his dad was like, yep, sign with an agent. It's over. So right. I, I would assume, you know, I, I think the NFL rule is uh, you're still eligible until any money changes hands. Right. But generally with these elite guys, they sign with an agent and then the agent says, okay, here's an advance so that you can go, you know, live in Arizona and work out in January with uh, our combine trainer or, or you can get on this meal plan or whatever. So right. I, I would assume it's, it's as good as gone. Well, and I, I, would, I would think in this particular case, the NCAA would probably allow them a, a waiver of some kind. Uh, if that's what, I mean, if push came to shove, I believe that that's something that probably would have taken place, but you know, most of these guys aren't coming back. There's, there's again, there's just no reason, you know, I, I think if Clemson had been in the same situation as Oregon in the PAC 12 and things had been paused or whatever, we wouldn't see Trevor Lawrence this year. He wouldn't be playing right now, but instead, you know, obviously the ACC moved forward without a hitch, but you know, even a lot of the schools in the big 10, you know, they continued to work out and train. Uh, they were in a little bit of it because the conference the whole time was so wishy-washy, it seemed like. Um, you know, uh, they were in a much different position than uh, the Pac-12 and, and guys like Panay Sewell. So uh, it's unfortunate to think that we've watched Panay Sewell for the last time in a duck uniform. I mean, just, you know, two short, glorious years of watching him just become an absolute monster. But that's the reality we're faced with. And, and uh, at least we got football back. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, a quick journalism lesson for anybody listening. There is a name that you've hinted at and, and you mentioned, Hey, uh, first round quality like Panay, but you're not going to name them. And I'm okay with that. I'm not going to name them either. You're protecting your source. Your source isn't ready to reveal that info. The world will find that out soon enough. Uh, the, for the Oregon corners, do you think Graham or Lenore come back? 
You know, that's a, that's going to be a fluid situation right now. I think uh, that uh, it's my understanding, and you know, I did post this in the jo- the juice on Thursday. It's my understanding that both did return to Eugene. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, this past weekend for the quarantine week, that doesn't mean both are playing. That's not what that means, but they're both in Eugene giving themselves the opportunity to rethink that decision at this time. Uh, you know, I've, you and I are recording this on a Friday. Uh, I would imagine they would go through the weekend and, and, and sit down and talk to coach Cristobal and, and, and talk to coach chance uh, and really get a feel for the, for the dynamic there. If I had to, if I had to make a bet right now today, I would say one, not both come back. I do believe, I do believe there's a chance that one will return. And I, I do believe, but even by me saying that, I believe, I, I believe it's a toss up, whichever one it would be, um, you know, returning. I, I do feel as those two are not in the same category as Panay Sewell. And I, I do believe that there is uh, a reward for them to come back and up their draft stock uh, in this season, whatever the season might be. I, I think that applies to both of them. Uh, that said, I do believe only one will return because I think Mikel Wright, a guy that everybody's super excited to watch in his second year, is a guy that's probably going to end up starting at one of the corner spots. And if you're Lenore and Graham, you don't want to both come back and one of you risks not having that starting spot because I do believe, I know it's somewhat hyperbolic, but I do believe Mikel Wright's going to be a starting corner this year for Oregon. So if that's the case, I do think that only one of Lenore or Graham will return, and I do think one of them will. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that the the talent being assembled, even without some of the names that, that we think will go and that we assume will go, uh, the talent being assembled on defense really um, is, is the best group in the Pac-12. Uh, somebody reminded me last night, I think that if last year I would have said the back four for Oregon was their strength, this year I think it's really the front seven. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with – you know, let's just call a spade a spade right now. So far, Lenore and Graham had, have opted out. They have not opted back in. So we'll just assume for now that those two are gone and nobody's coming back. And Javon Holland continues to linger out there. A lot of people wonder if he will opt out or if he won't simply because of his high NFL draft grade. Um, you know, I do believe he's in Eugene as well, but I, I think he's still got, you know, I still think he's working through a decision there potentially um, so, you know, you've got a lot of pieces that have left very valuable, experienced pieces in that back four uh, that you're talking about having to replace. That said, a Mikel Wright, DJ James, Dante Manning, those guys are going to come in, and I do believe they'll be better than Lenore and Graham, but you need some experience, you need some time, you need some reps. Um, those guys have tremendous upside, all three of them. So Oregon's in great hands, like you said. It's just a matter of getting them reps and experience. And, and really, so, you know, to me, I don't know about you, but I almost consider this year, I, I don't think Oregon's in position any longer to make a run at a playoff in this shortened season. I just think too many pieces are gone. You know, you haven't been able to train. You're kind of, do, you know, it, it's just too jostled. And I think the loss of Panay, I think the loss of both corners that have opted out at this point, um, you know, is a lot to lose. I still think Oregon can run through the Pac-12 fairly easily, but that, you know, being a Pac-12 champ and competing for a playoff are two totally different levels of a team. And I think Oregon was on track to be a playoff contender. Um, I'm not sure that they are now, but that said, if you, if you, you know, you're going to compete, you're going to play hard. I know Mario Cristobal, but really you're looking at big picture right now. You're looking at this next season, the full season next year, where you have a normal spring camp, you're going to go into fall ball and you're going to have a regular season more than likely next year. And you're really going to be looking at getting, you know, Tyler Shuck reps in this season. You're going to be really looking at that offensive line coming together that hasn't played yet in this season. You're going to be looking at those young guys in uh, Dante Manning and DJ James and Mikel Wright and the other young guys. And, and you're, you know, as well, talking about the strength being that front seven, you know, now we're talking about guys like Jalen Smith on the defensive line. We're talking about Noah Sewell. You know, we're talking about Justin Flo. All these guys now have valuable reps. And instead of being thrown into the fire next year, you've got a bunch of five stars in your lineup, not to mention 
a really, really, really good number three ranked recruiting class coming in uh, that you'll have a number of players for, for spring ball and in fall camp next year. This roster is going to see a major turnover, and I think Oregon's poised to really make some noise next year. Yeah, yeah. I, I said this last night, just sort of starting this conversation. I have Cal as the new favorite in the north, and I really like ASU in the south. How about you? Uh, you know, I do really like Cal in the North. I think that they are the number two team behind Oregon. Even with the losses that Oregon has sustained, they are still a more talented roster top to bottom than Cal. Uh, and I guess for me, you've got Andy Avalos at Oregon, and he's going to have another year of experience with his defense. A lot of those guys do return, even though the corners have opted out at this point. Um, and then we've got Joe Moorhead. You know, you've got Joe Moorhead on offense. I'm really excited to see what this Oregon offense looks like. I think he's going to end up being one of the best hires of this past, you know, coaching offseason uh, anywhere, not just at Oregon, but anywhere. So I do think that Oregon's still the favorite in the North, although I think Cal is going to really push that. Um, after Oregon and Cal, I think it gets really muddy. I mean, I think, I mean, I mean you could make a case for Oregon State. You know, yes. being being right behind them at that number three spot, you could make a case for Stanford because of David Shaw. He's got some pieces coming back. You could you could make a case for Washington, but I could also make a case that Washington might end up being one of the bottom two teams in the North this year. It's just uh, there's a lot of roster turnover there and uh, and some concerns uh, regarding depth. And not to mention whether you like Jimmy Lake or not, he's a first year head coach. He's going to have a learning curve no matter what you do. Yeah. Uh, out of the out of the South, much like the North, I do think USC wins out because they are, again, on paper, the most talented roster in that division down there um, and probably only second to Oregon. Um, I do like ASU, but I feel like they lost a lot of production on offense. They do return Jaden Daniels, who I love. I think he's probably my favorite quarterback in the Pac-12 to watch. Uh, I like that team, but I think they're a little bit young, inexperienced, and, and did lose some pieces. I think it's USC – and the only reason I have Utah right behind USC right now is because of their physical style of play. And I do think that is a major Achilles heel for the Trojans when they line up across a team that's very physical, like an Oregon, like a Utah, like a Stanford. Uh, I think USC is going to have a lot of problems in the trenches on both sides this year. So while I think they win the South, I do think Oregon uh, runs away with it in the North and in the conference overall fairly easily. So but, but again, that, I mean, we, we don't know about injuries or guys that have to sit out to COVID. So, you know, we say that now on paper, but by week two, we could, we could be playing everybody from the two deep and three deep, you know. <laughs> right. And, and we've even seen it's not so much that teams are going to two or, th or three deep on the depth chart because of COVID. If, if they get an outbreak, they just don't play. Right. Right. Yeah. If there's a position group that – you know, right now, let's let's just assume, you know, Graham and Lenore stay gone. If one or two of the corners for Oregon gets COVID for whatever reason, Oregon doesn't have a starting corner group. You know, they they don't have the numbers. You're jostling guys around. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know what they would do uh, just because your numbers are so thin there. So, right. um, yeah, we could. And that's just Oregon, for example. I know that everybody's got their, uh, you know, weak points on their roster. And uh, in, in throughout the whole Pac-12 conference, and uh, I have to assume with how cautious the Pac-12's been to this point on the season, they're going to be ultra strict and ultra cautious once the season begins. And if there's even just a couple of cases of COVID, you know, I would imagine that that uh, you know that they will have some pretty severe not penalties per se, but you know, teams will be forced to sit, um, you know, op, you know, uh, cancel or postpone games. I think they'll be watching it very diligently. So um, you mentioned earlier, Oregon, you, you like their chances this year to repeat as Pac-12 champs, but you don't see them reaching the playoff. How close is this team going to get to the playoff? Uh, tough to say. You know, I mean, I, I can easily cop out and say, well, it's impossible to say because, you know, everybody knows that. Everybody's aware. So we just, all things being equal, uh, first things first, you've got a, a, a seven game season. So even if big, if you're able to play all seven games, you're more than likely a couple of games behind the sec or ACC. And I mean, just in terms of number of uh, number of games played. So you've already got, 
you know, a little bit of a damper there. Uh, secondly, um, I, I just don't know that the Pac-12 has many teams that belong in the top 25 this year. You know, I, I think Oregon and USC will be in there. I think Cal could float around, you know, in that late teens to 25 number. But outside of that, I don't know that they have anybody else. So you're going to look at your strength of schedule if you're Oregon. Um, and let's just assume that they don't get USC on the schedule outside of the Pac-12 championship potentially. You know, you've got a very weak strength of schedule if you were Oregon. So you've got two major, major strikes right out of the gate there and two very big ifs. What if you don't play all seven games and you're down to six or five or whatever the case might be? Maybe it's because of your team. Maybe it's because of the the opponent on your schedule can't play. You just don't know. So for me, I, I think Oregon can win all of their games. I think they can go 7-0 and um, throughout the season. I think they can do all those things. And even if they do, I'm not sure it's going to be enough. And that said, I'm just not sure that this team is talented enough to compete with the Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State trio, uh, maybe even Georgia, you know, those, those upper four or five teams. You know, the loss of Panay hurts. The loss of the corners hurt. Javon Holland kind of hanging out there. We don't know if he'll play or not. We assume he will just because he hasn't said as much. Um, you know, if you lost those four guys right there, th- those are all NFL players gone that won't be playing for you. Um, and that's a lot to overcome for Oregon, especially especially Panay Sewell, not just because he's a tremendous player. He's a tremendous talent. But because, you know, that starting left tackle, having him protect Tyler Shuck was going to be a huge you know, kind of weight off of Tyler Shuck's shoulders. Um, I'm not saying the next guy won't do well, but it's awfully soothing to Tyler Shuck when you know that number 58 is on the left side of the line. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that be- that becomes a very be- big key part when you're playing those very super talented, super physical, super athletic defensive lines in the SEC um, and some of the Big Ten teams have, like Ohio State. You know, having a guy like Panay can really neutralize some of that star power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it really doesn't get said enough outside of the quarterbacks, your Justin Fields, your Trevor Lawrence, Penne was going to be the best player in college football this year. Yeah. The best, the best non-quarterback player was definitely Penne Sewell. And, and I think Oregon will be okay on the offensive line. Um, you know, I, I, they're a little bit bigger. They're a little bit stronger overall than they've ever been. They are not as experienced. So I'm not trying to t- take away from that last group. Um, that I was very fond of. I think that was a great group of young men. But overall, the guys that Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal have recruited are bigger, are stronger, are faster, are more athletically gifted. And I think with time, once that experience comes, it'll be a really good offensive line. And again, that's a key component for this year. You almost treat this like a really, really competitive intramural season and get yourself ready for next year because I think if that offensive line can gel and I think if Tyler Shuck does what we what I personally expect him to do I think you're looking at a a very explosive and dangerous offense and we all know that that defense is going to reload and has some serious dudes all over the all over the roster there I think Oregon definitely is competing next year right so um scoopduck.com you put out a post yesterday telling people that the the podcast which we normally tape and share on Thursdays was going to be taped today and uh, you, you fielded a few questions from people. It cracked me up because the biggest news on the planet breaks on Thursday. And it, still, you get peppered with questions about recruiting. But I like these questions and I want to share them with you. Uh, Ducks84 asks, what's your prediction for the class finish? Uh, great question. Um, and something that I talked a little bit about in the juice on Thursday. Um, and, and simply because the numbers are tight. Um, you know, if you're, if you're Oregon right now and let's just every, every sign points to the fact that Dante Thornton, uh, wide receiver, four-star wide receiver is leaning very heavy to the duck. So isn't ready to make his decision. It doesn't sound like he will for a little while longer, but let's just pencil him in, uh, because that's what you do. Just so you know, in recruiting, you pencil everything in, nothing in pen. That way you can erase it, but we'll pencil in Dante Thornton. So now we're talking about, uh, 22 commits. You can only sign a maximum of 25. And this is a year for me where if I take a step back and I really look at things and I look at the way the composition of this roster for Oregon, I think signing the max 25 
would not be Mario Cristobal's wisest move. Now, it would be if those last three are all five stars, guys you won't turn away. So Bryce Foster, Corey Foreman, JT Tuamalo, the all three of those guys, you take them all day long and, and you don't look back. But if you don't get all three of those guys, uh, right now I do believe Oregon's probably the team to beat for JT Tuamalo. You take him all day long, okay? Now you look at, all right, are we taking another safety? Jeff Boss has been out there, uh, been a heavy Oregon, Oregon lean for a while. You know, do you want a second safety uh, and, and basically taking up what I would call that last spot? Because if you get JT, you get Dante Thornton, and you take Bossa, simple math suggests you're at 24. I think you at least have to hold a spot open for the transfer portal uh, for next year. And I think that as much as you and I were talking about the secondary earlier on, I think you look at a potential safety off option possibly a corner option, somebody that might enter the transfer portal. I think it'll be a really wacky year when it comes to the transfer portal. Um, I think you need to keep a spot open again, unless Cordy Foreman or Bryce Foster, one of those five guards is uh, five stars is, is begging to come in. I think you keep that spot open. So right now off paper, I'm, I'm just simply going to say, uh, you know, Dante Thornton, JT Tuamalo, uh, and Jeff Bassa are probably the three guys that I feel most comfortable saying will round out this class. Um, you know, Oregon's got some work to do on Corey Foreman, and it sounds like he's going to wait till like February to decide. So you, you, you at least want to keep a spot open in that early signing period to make sure you stay in the game there. I haven't mentioned C.R. Wright, the cornerback that everybody likes out of SoCal. Ducks are a player. I think that's a guy you take uh, if, if it comes down to it being that last spot that I tell you to keep open. I think he's the guy that you take and lock in that last spot. But again, right now, just sitting here, if, you, if you're asking me for my finish, I'm saying the Ducks will add Jeff Bassa, Dante Thornton, and JT Tumalo, and that puts the Ducks at 24, and I think they hold that 25th spot open for Corey Foreman or somebody in the transfer portal. All right. There were a lot of great questions. I'm just going to pick a couple that I really like. Okay. Uh, Dirty South Duck asked, you don't need to name names, but with – with players opting out at the college level, do you think we'll see players change and, and maybe some decommitments at the high school level? Great question. Yeah, and here's, here's the tricky part about this and something that I haven't talked much about but I, I sort of alluded to is the fact that this season technically doesn't count. It doesn't count on your, on your NCAA clock. So – for example, a guy like Johnny Johnson or a guy like Jalen Red could come back next fall if they stay in school and play again if they want to. Now, I'm just using those two as an example. So now you have a school like Oregon that says, hey, look, you know, we planned on having you know, two or three open spots and we were recruiting that way. Uh, they might not have those now. And, and that is something that you'll see all across the nation, not just at Oregon, not just at USC, not in the Pac-12. You'll see it all over. So I do think that this will give some recruits, uh, not because of players opting back in, I, you know, with the way that the clock works, you know, those guys are going to opt back in and play now, and they'll still be done by the, before, the, uh, you know, before the 2021 sign and arrive. So I don't think it impacts them there. I do believe that it'll impact uh, some of the guys that might not sign early, might sign late, and some of these players will – basically decided to stay for what would be counted technically as a sixth year, um, but really be used as that fourth or fifth year, depending on if they redshirted or not. So um, I, I think that's the bigger impact more so than the guys opting back in. Yeah. Uh, our friend Hithliday asks, have you heard from any actual coaches about Devin Williams's reasons for transferring from USC? Um. You know, I mean, I can provide some backstory there, Devin Williams. Uh, he's a tremendous talent. Uh, he's a tremendous player. Um, you know, that said, he, you know, had what I would – he did, he has not had the most structured home life. You know, he has had coaches and other people that have helped and, and even, you know, put him up in, with housing at certain times. Um, you know, so – you know, you, you talk about some of these guys and their upbringing and, and just not having the resources that some kids do, you know, Devin Williams very much falls in line there. And the reason I mention that is, you know, I, I do feel uh, he was heavy, heavy, heavy with Oregon. And at the, at the 24, 48th hour, he got a lot of pressure 
to stay closer to home at USC. And even after he signed, initially after he signed with USC, I think he's had regrets, you know, from that day on about not going to Oregon, which is where he really wanted to be. Um, And ultimately he obviously, I think it was enough that it pushed him out the door at USC. I don't think it was because of depth. I don't think it was because of his ability or the guys in front of him. Um, I don't think a guy like Devin Williams had any problem playing behind a talent like Michael Pittman or Tyler Vaughn, who are tremendous wide receivers. Uh, That's not the issue. So I do believe he just ended up at Oregon where he wanted to be all along. You know, did it cost him a year? Yeah, sure. But he's there now um, and, and, and seems to be on the right track. Uh, but again, you know, it just goes to show that when you're, you know, 17, 18 years old, you're making the biggest decision of your life. You can be very easily influenced. People that you don't talk to often, you know, come back in at the last minute and, you know, put in their two cents and, and, and you're, you're impressionable. You know, you're 18 years old. If, if mm-hmm. somebody that's a father figure or a family member or somebody that you've grown up with comes in, oh man, you know, you could go play here. Oh man. You know, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, we were all very uh, impressionable in our 16, 17, 18 year old days. And I think that that's what happened to Devin Williams. And uh, he's just happy to be at Oregon now. Yeah. Um, a lot of questions about Larry Scott and the PAC 12 process. Uh, Prescott duck, asked uh, this, um, both governors seem to indicate, that's uh, Kate Brown from Oregon, Gavin Newsom from California, both governors seem to indicate that the Pac-12 had not even asked them about granting exceptions similar to the NFL. From, from what you've heard, you're pretty plugged into the coaching staffs. Do you think that's true? I don't know about you, but every time I hear or read the words Larry Scott, I just cringe and shake my head. And uh, it seems as though, you know, I guess the one positive to COVID, and I will get to the question, the one positive to COVID at this moment seems to be that there's now a little bit of a a warm seat under Larry Scott's ass, and and he seems to be losing, uh, you know, favor with university ADs uh, and and, uh, within the Pac-12. So if we can, you know, if we can enter 2021 with a new, person in charge of the Pac-12 I'm okay with throwing out this season if that's what we get but in all in all seriousness um 100% I believe 100% that and and I will I will take this to the grave and and sources have indicated to me as such the Pac-12 literally said back in August I think it was the 8th or 11th whatever the date was said hey you know what we're not going to play and our you know our our soonest plan for playing is in January and that's freaking it. They didn't do anything else. They didn't have any conversations. They didn't send out any emails. Sure, they made a, a partnership with Quidel about, uh, um, you know, with the rapid testing. And don't get me wrong, that's great. But I was told and I believe that that was more for basketball than even considering that for football. And, and there was no conversations. There was no movement. And that's why I said at the onset of this show, had the Pac-12 said, hey, look, we're going to postpone. We could potentially have a season in October. We could potentially have a season in January. Had they postponed and had a couple contingency plans, I do believe you'd see Panay Sewell playing. He would have continued to train, and he would have been ready for a season that's going to begin in a few weeks. But they didn't do that. They, they punted and basically said, we're not playing. Don't even worry about it. You know, So Mario Cristobal and others sent players home. I mean, you can't, you can't just have kids train – like that for you know four months on end with no break and not really any light at the end of the tunnel so you know i think i think for mario Cristobal at the time given all the information they had it was the right thing to send the players home let them get some very much needed r and r uh let their bodies rest and heal um but again had the pac-12 said hey look there's potential for us to play in october november december whatever here's the plans here's what they look like I think, you know, Mario Cristobal and other staffs would have said, okay, everybody can go home for a week, but you need to come back or whatever the case might be. You know, we need to train for those. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they didn't. Yeah. Simple as that. Um, oh, now I want to address uh, something we, we completely spaced on last week. And, and honestly, even if we hadn't, I don't think it would have been really fun because there just wasn't a lot to talk about. Um, Basically, every week during football season, 
we pick five games apiece, the five games that we're watching and that we think you should watch. And um, you have your five games this week, my friend? I do. I have five games. And, uh, you know, it's a big weekend as the SEC gets started. Okay. Um, you know, so I think there's five games in there. We had some, you know, we had some cancellations as well. Once again, this week with games, you know, Houston continues to look for its first game of the season, even though they don't play when the Pac-12 plays. I think. I guess, man, they've had four or five <laughs> games on their on their schedule, and they haven't played a game yet. And then, uh, you know, obviously the the mighty Golden Domers had to bow out of a game yeah. this week. So, um, but yeah, I've got five other games, and it's actually a pretty solid, strong. Um, uh, slate of college football okay well i have five games too and we'll we'll get right into it five games this week it just matters more okay uh five games you go first all right i'll give i'll get i'll offer a couple and then i'll let you i'll get my first three and then i'll let you go with them and see what we got uh I, you know Nine o'clock, gonna wake up Saturday morning. Um, you know, basically nobody plays Saturday morning cartoons anymore, which is, you know, a sin in its own right. But there yeah. will be football. We will have Lee Corso. We will have college game day. So all of those things are, are, are on, much to my pleasure. I've got nine o'clock Louisville versus Pitt. Mm. Uh, that's a top 25 matchup. That should be a, an entertaining game nonetheless. Also at nine o'clock is another top 25 matchup, Kentucky and Auburn. Um, I think that should be a really good uh, football game. I'm kind of interested to see, you know, how good Auburn is uh, this season. Third game for me, and, and one that I think a lot of Duck fans will appreciate, 1230 West Virginia versus Oklahoma State. And the reason West Virginia is on here is because Braxton Burmeister is being talked about as the starting quarterback. Okay. Uh, yeah, so those are my first three, and I'll be excited. I, I don't know about other Oregon fans, but I'll, I'll be excited to cheer for – for Braxton Burmeister if he's, in fact, a starting quarterback uh, in that game? Well, I, I don't have any of those games, but I appreciate wow. those games because I I know, I know. I, uh, I really liked Louisville last week. I know they lost, but they looked really impressive on offense. And I, I totally spaced on Burmeister. I'm right there with you of follow-up with a former Duck, follow-up with a really good kid, and uh, and just root for him and, and hope that he kicks butt on Saturday. And then the logic behind those SEC games you picked, totally get it. Um, I, I think the single biggest question this year is Alabama, LSU, Florida, and the top of the SEC. We saw so many great players move on to the next level and – and I know these programs are all really good at reloading. I just want to know who reloaded best. Um, so I, I don't have any of those games, but I do have um, Florida Ole Miss in that 9 a.m. window because mm -hmm. I think Florida could be the team that kind of takes that step up when everybody else takes a step back. And then um, the other SEC game that I would love to see is uh, Bama Mizzou, uh, number two team in the country. I know they're not going to have Tua, and I think that's massive, but I trust the rankings. Number two team, I think that's legit. Yeah, I did list that game as well. That was my fourth game, uh, four o'clock game, um, and I'm excited to see Bryce Young uh, at Alabama, you know, the five-star quarterback out of last year, going to be a true freshman starter uh, for Alabama. Um, and like you, I'd like, to see how, I'd like to see how he does and if they are the legit – Number two team. I mean, I you know Nick Saban just reloads. I mean, he's he's definitely uh, under that. I think LSU is is a real wild card to me because they had some pretty severe losses of guys that opted out, and I just wonder how good they'll be. But um, so you got my fourth game, but my fifth game uh, is another four thirty game, and it's uh, it's FSU versus Miami. So yeah. I just you okay. know yeah. I mean, I I I don't know if you pick that game or not, but you know, I I think the Knowles are probably going to get their butt handed to them. Um, they'll be without their head coach because he's in quarantine for testing positive for, for COVID, uh, Mike Norvell. So uh, it just seemed like an intriguing afternoon game for me. Yeah. I, I've said before, and I have them on this list for the same reason. I love watching tire fires, love watching dumpster fires. Um, I, I know people that played 
and, and covered him at Memphis. And I've never heard anybody say a good thing about Mike Norvell. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's a, a really, um, I'm, I'm not going to say that he's like one of the worst coaches in college football, but just the people that I know did not like Mike Norvell and, uh, and pretty much expected Florida State to be a disaster. So I, I, I like watching the disaster. I like following the disaster. And Miami, they look awesome. They're for real. I think that game is going to be a disaster. So I have that one down too. Yeah, that one should be a disaster. So that's – I don't know if that – I can't remember if that's three or four for you. You should have one more, I think, right? I've, I've still got a couple. Yeah, couple. that would be my um, – that's my third game. Um, four and five, you might chuckle. I, I go outside the power five for these just because I've said before I, I have a hunch – this year of any year, I, I think is the best chance for a group of five school to make the playoff. Yeah. And even if they don't, I think the group of fives have a platform this year because there wasn't Big Ten football and there won't be for a while. And because there, there wasn't Pac-12 football and there won't be for a while. I'm looking at games like Army Cincy at 12:30 on ESPN. They're both ranked. They're both fun offensively. I, I, anytime I get to watch that option offense of Army, I, I, I drool a little bit. And uh, we were joking about this via text message, but after four o'clock, if you notice, if you just Google college football schedule right now and you look at the start times, after four o'clock, the schedule just drops off a cliff. There's nothing. Yeah. There's and, no Pac-12 after dark. <laughs> right. There's no Pac-12 after dark. And so I had to pick the next closest thing. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> Provo Mormon football after dark. Uh, Troy BYU, 7.15 p.m. That's the only game on the entire schedule after 6 o'clock, and it airs on ESPN. So I, I had to go with it. Troy BYU. Hey, I'm always down to watch some BYU football. It's always a good time. Uh, you know, they have always got those – you know, I always seem to get those quarterbacks, you know, uh, that just, uh, uh, you know, Taysom Hill and, and those guys that just end up like, you know, throwing for two touchdowns or running for two touchdowns and, you know, passing for 150 yards and running for 150 yards that just kind of make it fun to watch. So, yeah, I'm, I'm down to watch the, uh, the, the it's, it's not necessarily the Holy War, but I'm down to watch BYU get down. <laughs> and I did nearly list that Army Cincy game. I, I went ahead and did the Louisville Pitt game over that one, but that was the other one that I was, I was eyeballing pretty hard to put in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have any rooting interest for BYU. Uh, I just, I, I still just can't believe, like, if the Pac 12 isn't going to play till November, you'd think somebody would say, we want that six o'clock West Coast slot. That's a good right. time slot. It is. Yeah, it's like, Monday, it's like having Monday night football. Yeah. No, I agree because you'll get, uh, you know, you'll have the the uh, the late nighters, you know, on the East Coast that want to watch. You know, you you're going to watch a game that starts at nine o'clock, and and obviously, you know, maybe you don't make it through the whole game, but you'll watch the first half, and you know that counts as a rating. And then uh, obviously, you get everybody out on the West Coast that'll want to watch it. You know, if they're sitting at a bar or something and having the TV on, or just at home. Mm -hmm. uh yeah that six o'clock five six o'clock slot is a money slot in my opinion yeah well that's what i have for my five games uh, i think we had i think we just had one on there unless you had bama mizzou i did not oh yeah i did i had bama mizzou yeah i had bama mizzou and then uh and then we had uh fsu and miami those were right. only two two crossovers right so uh that's it for five games um is there anything else we missed this week? Anything you want to go over? No, I don't think so. I mean, um, obviously, you know, now that we, you know, uh, have a season, we know when it'll start. Um, we'll get the schedule. I believe that the schedule will come out for the Pac-12 uh, during the next week. Might be Monday, Tuesday, who knows. Um, but I know they're working on finalizing that. So we'll have that to talk about on next week's podcast, the schedule. Um, and obviously we've got the next five or six weeks to really talk about Oregon football training camp and, uh, you know, some of the other teams in the conference and what's going on there. So, uh, I, I feel a little bit revitalized personally about, you know, the, the podcast and, and, and having something fresh to talk about and something that's relevant to talk about. So it kind of 
it kind of gave me a little boost for today and uh, I'm excited for the next few weeks to start talking about football. Well, I'll go inside media with you for a minute. I I know everybody just loves that, but uh, (laughs) um, I feel you because I know for, for my job doing the radio gig, not having any sports to talk about, not having any games really because I mean, baseball's fun, but there's no baseball teams in Oregon. Right. Um, the NBA is fun. Once the Blazers are out, there's, there's no angle in Oregon. Um, having, I, haven't, I, I haven't watched an NBA game since the Blazers were out, personally. Right. And I have, but I know a lot of people who think like you do. Right. Um, the NFL and college football, that's a different story. And so yeah. I know when we got the NFL back a couple weeks ago, it was like a, fl- a switch flipped for me of just the the ease of doing my job. Oh, so much easier. Well, and, you know, let's face facts here. You've been able to kind of geek out on the Raiders going 2-0 so far this season. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're officially looking. out of the Kayvon Thibodeau sweepstakes, so that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, kind of a bummer, huh? Yeah, yeah, you're definitely <laughs> not getting Panay, right? Uh, oh, that's yeah, a, that too, that too, yeah. yeah we're, uh, that's right, the joke was like the Jaguars or whatever tanking, whoever tanking, it's, you know, the suck for Sewell. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's sad because there are a lot of us I say a lot of us, a lot of Duck fans and a lot of Raider fans who would like to see Marcus Mariota. It's sad that if they keep playing this way, he'll probably sit on the bench for a while once he gets out oh, of yeah. IR. But, yeah, uh, yeah uh, somebody that bleeds silver and black, I, I'll take it. I'm happy with it. Yeah, I mean, Carr's putting up some numbers, and he looks really good out there, and the offense is definitely hitting on all cylinders. So I, I do agree that that is not a job that, you know, Marcus Mariota is going to walk right into and take. That's that's going to yeah. be hard to to pull it from his clutches at this point. Unfortunately, well, I I could spend another hour on that, but I don't want to beat anybody's brains in. So we'll just wrap up on that note. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everybody for leaving those questions and comments. I know I didn't get to all of them. I just picked a couple that I really liked because I I knew Jay Hop was going to give you a couple paragraphs and really explain it like he always does being the expert. Uh, you, you can tune into our podcast again and again and again. We got it on every app you can possibly find. Just search for scoop duck in hi-fi and you'll find it. And if you can't let us know, I'm on Twitter at Bagley sports. He's on Twitter at J Hopkins SD and he runs a site where we put this up every Friday ScoopDuck.com. This is scoop duck in hi-fi. I'm going to sign off, wave goodbye, and and get on with my weekend. And I want to tell you, thanks for listening, and go Ducks. I can do this now.